So one of my favorite things to see is the look on people's faces when they see me get on a skateboard and do the trick that's called a kickflip. It's one of my favorite things. And I love being able to see the look on people's faces because uh, for whatever reason, people look at me and they don't just go, yeah, that dude's rad at skateboarding. Like he's, he's just shredding like on the weekends. That's just what he does. And the reason I think maybe people don't look at me and go, that guy is like, he's obviously a skateboarder is because I had this particular day when I was in eighth grade. I'll never forget this day. We had changed schools, so I was going to school at O.P. Evans in Noonan, and then I started going to Central Middle School in Carrollton, and uh, a great time to change grades, eighth grade, um, uh, right? And so uh, you have no idea what's going on in your life, um, and then you change schools, and so the cool thing about that was is, is I uh, was still like fully in skateboard mode. Like I love skateboarding. I read the magazines. I played Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 uh, on my, my PlayStation. Uh, that was just what I ate, slept, and breathed, and, and all the shirts I wore were all skateboard brand stuff, were really baggy jeans. I had a really awesome shell necklace, uh, and, and this really long curly hair. I looked like I smoked recreational marijuana on a regular basis as an, eight, as an eighth grader coming into this new school and uh, that's how I dressed for that day because like in my mind I was like man that's just you know that's, that's who I am that's what I do I just skateboard like and and everybody who doesn't you know and they may wear a shirt like that they're a poser and so I get out of the car and I saw this 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 young woman and uh girl and I, I was pretty sure she was also in, in my grade and um she didn't look like the type of girl who would date a guy who's like really into skateboarding uh, to say the least and um I remember like um and and the rest of like the uh, the kids who were born late 80s kind of the younger millennials in the room uh, you'll remember a brand called Abercrombie and Fitch right yeah yeah so so some of you parents have had to take your kid to the mall and uh, pay 45 dollars for a, a undershirt um and uh, you've been there, done that. And we've kind of navigated through that. And so I saw her kind of wearing that. And like at my old school, that was like the crowd that I wasn't really cool with. Those are the preps and, and whatever. And uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't there. But like I saw her and I was like, man, she's, she's pretty attractive. And uh, what I came to find out was at this school, I could actually be whoever I wanted to be. Because nobody had two other years of sixth and seventh grade to know Trent's a skateboarder. And uh, my family was notoriously behind all the things that you should do on time. And so we hadn't even went back to school shopping yet. And so uh, you know how school starts kind of towards the end of the week, and then you have the weekend, and then school officially kind of starts on Monday. And so we had that weekend to go shopping. And we went to the mall, Arbor Place Mall in Douglasville. And I remember I went into Abercrombie & Fitch, or American Eagle, one of those stores. And I got like a shirt uh, with the whole budget that I had. And uh, came back to school, and I, I think I wore it like on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, but I did that because I wanted to fit in. And I want to get the attention of people that I either thought were attractive or cool, and I want to be able to sit at that table and to get noticed. And it's really easy to talk about that and to joke about it when we're kids, but what happens when we take some of those childhood tendencies and they find their way into adulthood? Because the simple principle that I think Jesus is going to get into in the passage that we're talking about today is we all have this propensity to pretend to be somebody we're not to get something from somebody else that we want, whether it's attention, whether it's approval, we have, we have this propensity to say, well, I, I'm going to leverage this new leaf that I've turned over to be a new person. That's why, you know, in January, y'all be posting stuff that says, new year, new me. It's like, no, you're the same. You're the same, same stuff. <laughs> same you, same year. Uh, new year, same you. And so Jesus, and this is the whole concept of this series we're talking about as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. He, he says, I'm coming to offer you a new life. And the word that he uses for this new life is a righteous life. And I think in our American vernacular, we hear the word righteous and we just think about this holy roller, righteous, holier than thou, self-righteous person. What Jesus is talking about here in 
righteousness is this is the new way of living that you know and other people know that your life is right by God. This is the only, this is the right way. And I don't know about you, but we've all tried to live a lot of different ways of life. Wouldn't you want to know that you were living life the right way? So Jesus comes on the scene and he says, in my kingdom there are going to be things that you can do that as you do these things, they won't be the things that make you righteous, but as you're doing these things, they will be the things that show to the outside world and even show to you in your own life that you are actually living out of the righteousness that God has given you through Christ. And in this series, we've been talking about these because there is a real way to do that, a right way to do it, so to speak, and then there is a pretend way to do it. And in Jesus' day and age, there's the same things that we have in our age. They're religious people, people who pretend to be something that they're not. And this time, it's not about you know, going from being a skateboarder to wearing Abercrombie and Fitch, but it's pretending to be more holier than they really are. We talked about this last week. It's the word pretentious. I'm pretending to have something that really I don't fully have as much as I'm pretending to have. And so Jesus walks through these three uh, practices, so to speak, of righteousness. And the first one we talked about last week was pretend giving. And he says giving just so other people notice you're giving and think you're a holy person because you're giving. This week, we're going to lean into how he talks about pretend prayer, fake prayer. Pretend prayer that's trying to get something from somebody that's not really getting the thing that you should have from God. So if you've got a Bible, Matthew chapter 6, that's where we're going to be. Matthew 6, we're going to start down in verse 5. Matthew 6, chapter 5, hopefully you've got your Bible. If not, turn it there. If you're watching online, all those stuff is going to be kind of, I think it's down here in my torso area. I don't know. Um, it's there somewhere. Um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus says, and when you pray... Don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues or on the street corner to be seen by others. And truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, let me bring this thing full circle, kind of unpack and go back up to what Jesus said. If you're, you're still walking around and reading in your Bible, go up to 6.1. 6.1, Jesus kind of introduces this whole idea that this whole series is bound on. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So Jesus, he wants us to get on the Heavenly Father's reward program. He says, here's how to not get on it. So do these things to be seen by other people. And so he walked through giving in a way just to be seen by people. And now he starts talking about praying. And he opens up. And again, kind of how we do if you're new to MCC is we like to take these passages and these things that Jesus said. And because they're so thick, we like to kind of take them almost word by word, verse by verse, and walk through so we really can get an understanding of what is actually being said here. And that's what we're going to do in this passage. So right out of the gate. 6-5, he says, and when you pray, underline when, because it doesn't say if. He says, when you pray. See, the point that Jesus is trying to make here of when you pray is that prayer is a foundational aspect of a life following Christ. And when we look at Jesus' life, all throughout the gospel, we see his life was actually just 100% saturated in prayer, which maybe you never paused and thought about this. Like, you pray to Jesus. Who's Jesus praying to? Well, Jesus was the son of God. And what we see in his life is that he wanted to continue to have this amazing relationship with the Father. And even though he was God, he still prayed to God. He does it consistently. He doesn't just pretend like he has it all together. And if there was ever anybody who did have it all together, it would have been him. And it's fascinating that all through Scripture, we see it over and over and over and over again, that he withdraws to the wilderness to pray. I'll give you a few examples 
Uh, we'll just take the book of Luke, for instance. Um, Luke 3.21, Jesus prays before his baptism. Luke 4, uh, he's praying through temptation. Uh, chapter, uh, 15 and 16, uh, chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, he, he tells uh, that he goes often to a place that's alone in prayer. In six, uh, chapter 6, verse 2, uh, he prays before he chooses his disciples, and he spends all night in prayer before he picks them. In chapter 9, verse 18, uh, before he presents the disciples with this really huge question of, who do you say I am? It's a great question for another sermon. He says, okay, who do you say I am? They answer back, and then upon that realization of who he is, they go and spend the whole entire night praying. In Luke 18, 1, Jesus taught his disciples to pray always. In Luke 11, this is fascinating to me, the, the disciples, these guys who had seen Jesus do miracle after miracle, they had saw Jesus just walk on water, they had seen Jesus turn some kids' uh, snack pack lunchable into food for 5,000 people, they had seen Jesus Heal people, blind people, just spit in mud, make Mississippi mud pies and put on people's eyes and they can start seeing again. They had seen Jesus do all of these miraculous things. They had heard him just like shut down Pharisees with like these verbal comebacks. They had heard this sermon that he's preaching right here and everybody got done and everybody's just like mind blown. And they come to Jesus and they don't go, Jesus, show us how to do that. Like not even Peter went, hey, can you show me how to catch them fish like that again? Like none of those guys came and asked Jesus. When they asked the question, they said, Jesus, The one thing we want you to teach us how to do, teach us how to pray. It's because prayer was this foundational. And they understood. Prayer is where he's getting his resources. It's something special and magical that's amazing, miraculous, happening in these moments when he's praying. And we see it continue even on through the rest of of the book of Luke, especially during the Passion Week. In Luke 22, 32, Jesus promises to pray for Peter during his final trial and sifting. In Luke twenty two forty, 40, Jesus commands the disciples to pray so they won't fall into temptation as he's being led away to go to the cross. And then in Luke 23, 46, we see that Jesus' very last breath that he breathed while he was on the cross was not agony, was not how dare you people do this to me, but it was a prayer to his father. And then Luke Luke is the guy who also wrote the book of Acts. So if you're reading your Bible, go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts. It, it almost seems like it would be better for it to go Matthew, Mark, John, Luke, and Acts because Luke and Acts were really one book and then they just kind of separated them out. And so in the book of Acts, we see not just Jesus set this foundation that my mission on earth is grounded in prayer. The power comes from prayer. But then as he rises from the grave, ascends to heaven, and tells the disciples, hey, go to Jerusalem. I'm gonna send my Holy Spirit to you, and amazing things are gonna happen because my church that I'm founding is being born. What we see in Acts is prayer is still where it's at. In Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to prayer. In Acts 4.24, it says they prayed for an outpouring of signs and wonders in the midst of persecution. Acts 6 talks about how the the apostles devoted themselves to prayer and the work of the ministry. See, what I see here is that the way Luke understood how prayer was supposed to operate in a church was that it was just as important as people gathering together to hear the word was them having the ministry of gathering together to pray. And I think somewhere down the line, we, we maybe missed out on some of this, of being a, being a church that just, hey, like, there's no agenda. This isn't a discipleship class. This isn't a small group. This is just prayer. 
And this has been something that's been on my heart uh, as your pastor for, for a while uh, throughout the season. We've been trying to figure out, like, what can, what can we do? Like, what, what we want to see revival happen? We want to see God do some amazing things. Um, and so I want to, you know, I don't have a slide or something to write down, but I want you to mark October 4th on your calendar. October 4th. Um, we're planning out some things this fall that I'm really excited about. Um, they're really not for MCC things. They, MCC is going to benefit, but we're going to start, um, we're going to have three of them through this fall where we just gather together. We're going to do it at, down there um, at our little pavilion area, a little overhang, everything else. And we're just going to have nights where we gather together to pray. It's going to be, we've got like a few Monday nights planned out. So the first one is going to be October 4th. So mark your calendars. We'll give you more details to come. Um, but it's going to be something that is a time for us to gather together and pray for our city. So this is not a McDonough Christian church thing. This is a praying for our, this is for the Christian, the, the capital C church that is in McDonough, that the people who are followers of Jesus in McDonough to be able to gather together and to pray for our city because, um, you know, I said this from the very beginning of when I came here, like, I believe some of the call that God has placed on my life is to lead a church that serves a city so that Henry County, McDonough, whatever, that Henry County would be a place that's really hard to go to hell in Henry County because the light of Christ shines so bright through his people. And I think that light only shines when we get close to the source. And the way we get close to the source is through prayer. And that's why I believe here in God's word over and over again, we see that for Jesus, the one who like founded the entire church, and then the early church, as they're going off of the steam that he has given them through the power of the Holy Spirit, living and active through their lives, everything is foundational on prayer. And what we see through the early church and through Jesus is that prayer was fundamental. That prayer was, was everything. And then we look at our own lives, guys, right? And like... Prayer is, uh, at best, supplemental, and most of the time, optional. Like, we just kind of throw it in. And so, where the early church said prayer for us is supplemental, or prayer for us is fundamental, we've said prayer for us is supplemental. It's a supplement. We can add it to our life. We can take it away from our life. We'll do it when things go well. If, if somebody gets sick or somebody has something go on, we'll, we'll do this. But what we see in their lives is that they realized that what they were up against was so big, so heavy, so hard that there was no way that they could do it without coming to Jesus and asking him to move in miraculous ways. And the power that we see, like, man, there's something about all of us. If you ever read through Acts 1, 2, and 3 where you go, man, I want to be part of something like that. And the reason I believe they were a part of so much of what was going on there was because they were so connected through the power of prayer. And so, I believe we've got to tap into that power source and Jesus is saying, I need you to as well, not for your sake just alone, but also for the sake of the city. And he says there's a right way and a wrong way to do this. And what we're going to do for this passage on prayer is today we're going to talk about the why and then what Jesus does in this, if you can kind of skip on down a little bit, you see him get into this uh, prayer called the Lord's Prayer. That's really the how. So today we're going to tackle the why and then we're going to tackle the how next week. So in Matthew 6, 5, again, we're going to keep going. We'd, I spent all that time just talking about like here's why we pray. Uh, so when you pray, then he goes on from there. He says, all right, when you do it, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like people who are pretending, who are wearing a prayer mask and saying, oh, I'll pray this way when I'm around these people and I pray a different way when I'm different people. He says, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the street corners. Synagogue was kind of like their uh, church building. It was a place where they would go and, and do church, and that was kind of where um, they, would, they would, you know, think that that God resides in this uh, brick and mortar structure and we go here to meet with him and talk with him. He said, don't be like those people for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners. Now, if you just ended that sentence there, it would be confusing 
Because you would go, well, does Jesus want, not want us to pray at synagogues or church? Does Jesus not want to pray on the street corner? Does Jesus not want us to, to pray in a church service or in a, in a private or in a public place? What, what's going on here, Jesus? He's not saying it's bad to pray at church. He's not saying it's bad to pray in public, on a street corner, car, whatever, Target, any of those places. What he's saying is wrong is when you do it, the next word after corners, to be seen by others. When I'm praying so that other people notice that I'm praying for them. That's when he says, it's off. He says, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, maybe you've experienced some of this. I think things are a little bit different in our day and age because nobody's just like standing on corners praying out loud a whole lot in this day and age. There used to be a guy who would, at the corner over there at Starbucks, he would dance. I wish he would come back. Like, he made my days better. I'd just, I'd ride there, I'd go on my lunch break, I'd go, you know, grab something from Gezzo's or something. I'd just see that dude out there, he just got his boombox, and he's just dancing. I'm like, all right, bro, like, bring it on, man. That's what I'm talking about. Um, so people dance on corners, flip signs on corners, beg for money on corners, but we don't see a whole lot of people praying on corners. And what I, want you, what I don't want you to get caught up in this is Jesus, like, letting us know that we don't do a whole lot of praying. What I do want you to see is what Jesus says to do instead. To not pray in a way just to be noticed by people, but to pray in a way where you know that I'm not caring about being seen by them because I'm going to this secret place where actually nobody can see me and I'm praying to the God who actually does. Now, in their culture, who Jesus is picking on here primarily are these guys, uh, Pharisees or religious leaders. And these guys would wear... Something like this. This is a, uh, a Jewish, it's for real. Maybe you've seen this somewhere. This is a prayer shawl, okay? So prayer shawl kind of deal. They would rock one of these bad boys, and they would, they would just wear one of these around. Now, I kind of look like Ric Flair. Um, that's pretty cool. Woo! <laughs> just coming down the stairs. Um, so they would, they, would, they would wear these. And now, now this is where it's, it's starting to make sense because... What they would do, and, and there's even like these, these, these tassels that, you know, there's scripture kind of backing some of this up. They're attached to these four corners. Um, some of the way that this word is actually even translated is, is another word for the word wings. Um, when Jesus is talking about how they would pray, it would be a public spectacle. Whether it was in the synagogue or in the streets, there would be the, like, you know, Father of heaven, I beseech thee. And like everybody's kind of noticing because I've kind of gone like Batman mode. And these Pharisees or the religious leaders or scribes or priests or whatever, people would see them, spread their arms, make a motion. You can't get demonstrative with this thing on and have people not know, wow, look at that. That's impressive. And what Jesus is saying here is when people are doing that, like that's the reward. That's it in full. Because people are going, wow, they must have a really good prayer life. And what happens there, and again, we all do these things. You've had your own, maybe that you've done. We do them because there's this, there's this jacked up part of us that longs to get the approval of other people because we're insecure. We're insecure of our place. We don't know where we fit. We don't know if we have enough. We don't know what it, if we have what it takes to be who we're calling to be. We don't know if we're, you know, I want to fit in with this circle. These people get this amount of attention and approval and promotion or whatever. And so I want to be in that so we'll do things. Again, it's like I talked about at the beginning. We'll be who we need to be. We'll do what we need to do. We'll pretend however much we need to pretend to get the security or the approval that we really think we need. So Jesus comes on. And he says, don't, don't be like that. And then he tells them what to do. 
He says, but when you pray, again, when, not if, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. So the goal here in this whole process of prayer is doing it in a way that is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, maybe you're hearing this, you're going like, am I not allowed to pray in public? No, like we've prayed already multiple times a day. I'm going to pray a few more times today. It's okay to pray in public. It's okay to pray where people hear you. But what he's saying here is the basis of your prayer life needs to be in private. Which, to me, I would ask the question, and this is a hard one for me as even as a pastor. Your prayers, if you weighed them out, are more of your prayers in public places or in private places? I think that's a diagnostic question that shows us whether or not we're living for the approval of our Father in heaven or the approval of other people. So he says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is seen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, I want you to know the reward he's talking about there is not necessarily just God saying, come on in, son, now you're under the favor fountain because you built, you, you know, you outfitted this closet in your house or that, you know that weird cubby, I wish our house had one, under the stairs, and it's like a door that has all like the Christmas wrapping in it. I wish we had one of those. Um, he said, like, don't outfit that to be a, a place where you just go in prayer and think that you're gonna get gold stars from heaven, No. The point that he's trying to make, and this is the whole thing with, all, with these three practices of righteousness that he's getting after, motive matters. Motive matters. Your motivation behind what you do is what matters the most in what you do. And the truth is, the same thing that's been the underlying theme of this entire sermon is still what he's talking about here. And it's simply this. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. And God is concerned with that part of you. So when we pray, he says, go to a secret place. Go to a place that's unseen, nobody's noticing. And there, in that secret place, you will see the rewards of your heavenly father. And that reward is knowing that in that moment, and this is what I try to teach my kids this when they pray because sometimes they just start repeating stuff. And Ezra yesterday, he was praying about, he said, God, be with the dinosaurs. And I was like, buddy, that ship has sailed. Um, <laughs> like... You know, like, I want them to understand that, and it's, just, it's hard to imagine, but like, when we pray, the God of the universe that made everything around us, that created, that God of the universe pauses and listens. I think one of the things that probably frustrates angels, is like, I, I, for, I don't know, I have a weird imagination, and, and just bear with me for a little bit of it. Sometimes I, th- I feel like angels are in heaven, and like, there's probably like a really long line to like talk to God with the angels. The angels are like, man, I wish I, mean, I, could, I wish I could get on his calendar. And, and I think sometimes they're probably up in heaven like looking down and like, they know that they, he listens to them anytime. We just have to wait on him to call us. Like Gabriel, and it's like, oh, God called me. And like he gets to go in and talk to God. And I think there's, maybe there's this frustration on their end of going like, hey, you guys can talk to him anytime you want. And, he, and, and anytime, one of his children, they're on earth, and even somebody who's, you know, just anyone who isn't any creation, he stops what he's doing. He puts it all down and he listens. I think all of heaven is probably echoing the collective cry of, why don't they talk to him more? If they knew him like we know him, man, how much more they would talk to him. And I'm going to 
show you something now that I think will be the best illustration I could ever give in the why behind us finding a secret place of prayer. Sometimes the reward is just knowing that we have the attention of a heavenly father. But what happens as more and more we you know, come to these places of prayer and we seek to align ourselves with God and learn who God is and know who God is, what happens is his heart becomes our heart. What breaks his breaks ours. And what prayer does is it breaks our heart in a way that it moves our hands and our mouths and our feet to where we start being God's instruments and tools for righteousness here to make things right on planet earth. And the story I'm going to share with you is from how I was able to see that happen. Through one of our members here at MCC, um, her name's Lisa, and um, what I love about Lisa, and again, I know it's kind of the, the tension in this of going like, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing, pray in secret, but then again, what, Matt, what Jesus talked about in Matthew 5 when he was like, hey, if you have good motives, don't worry about letting that light shine before people, and this is one of those times where I know Lisa is a woman who has that secret private place of prayer because I get texts from her probably more than anybody else at MCC asking um, this question. Hey, Trent, how can I be praying for you, your family, and the church? And I love that because I know so much of the success and the good things that we see happen at MCC have so little to do with my leadership and have so much to do with the prayers and supplication and thanksgiving of the people of MCC like Lisa. In this story, um, you're going to see what God does when we begin to pray. He begins to align our hearts, and then we begin to be prompted with these steps to take action. And I pray that this inspires you the way it did me. Check out Lisa's story. All right, so how'd you meet Tristan? Well, I uh, got a phone call from Tristan's grandmother um, probably about 12 years ago. Uh, she was the, she worked in the front office at Ola High School and I had my cheerleading business and she knew she was looking for someone to teach her granddaughter tumbling. So she got my name from one of the moms of one of my students and got a hold of me and she started taking tumbling from me when she was probably about seven years old. So um, walk me through how that relationship kind of progressed like over a long period of time to kind of get to the place where you were able to be a part of a really awesome moment in her life. Um, well, I, I, I taught her tumbling for probably about five years all the way through elementary school and then um, she, she moved on to bigger and better things and uh, so I just continued to stay in touch with her and would go see her compete uh, at cheerleading competitions and um, so that was through middle school and high school. So in high school we can continued to stay in touch and uh, would every now and then go get coffee together or go get lunch together and um, just check in on her and see how she was doing. So with Tristan you were able to kind of help her navigate um, that transition from high school into college. And uh, talk to me about how you were able to be a part of not only that decision, but an even bigger decision. Um, well, as, so her senior year, I knew that she was, uh, she, she's, a, she's a very talented um, cheerleader and tumbler. 
and um, so she had high aspirations to cheer. Uh, she really wanted to cheer at Alabama, um, so she was she was going to several different colleges and trying out for cheerleading. And so as she would travel to and fro uh, to those different places, um, we would talk and. Um, pray through you know through that and and then she was uh, very disappointed when she didn't make cheerleading in Alabama but we we were able to just uh, talk about the fact that God had a perfect place for her and so each each uh, along the way she finally um, was able to find the spot she ended up trying out at Kennesaw State and um, so she's cheering at Kennesaw State and that's uh, she agrees that's the perfect spot that God wanted her to be well, walk me through how you got to a place where you were able to, to bring up putting faith in Christ and, and even baptism. How did you guys get to that place in your relationship where that was what you knew was the next step for you? Okay. Um, when we would meet, you know, for coffee, even through her high school year, I would always bring my Bible and we would, you know, discuss different things. But especially there towards the, uh, after she graduated from high school or was about to graduate and trying to figure out where to go with school, um, I had already made up in my mind that uh, before she went off to college, when she found that place she was going, that I wanted to, to sit down with her and just um, let her know who her best friend was and who she needed to make sure she took to school with her. And it was very interesting because I, had, uh, I felt the Lord putting that on my heart and her grandmother got in touch with me and let me know that one of her um, very good friends had gone off to school in Athens and uh, had put out on social media that she had gotten saved and gotten baptized and so her grandmother when she texted me she let me know that uh, th about that story and that Tristan's comment was that is so special I wish I knew how to do that so I told her grandmother I said I said when we get together again the next time that's the perfect end for me to um, to talk about that how did that conversation go? It, it was great. It, she, uh, the Lord has just been, He has just been drawing near to her for so long and her heart's just been so open. So when we sat down and, um, and you know, we talked about various things and then I mentioned that and she was just so excited about her friend. And I mean, I didn't even have to hardly ask, what would you, what would you like to do that? She said, absolutely, that's what I want to do. So we were able to, to talk about it a little bit and literally at Queen Bee we prayed together for her to accept Jesus and she said yes I want to be baptized too. We you know we we discussed whether or not she wanted to come to McDonough Christian and be baptized here um, uh, or if she wanted to have a private ceremony here or if she wanted to do it at Hamall's pool and she said let me talk to Hamall and of course Hamall was just excited that she would be there so we we got there on a Saturday morning and um, her, her, her extended family was there and um, and we were just able to uh, it, it, everyone was so excited it was so, it, it was just a really it was a very special day so you're there and you're with this this family uh, who you don't really know all of them that well, but then you also know um, Tristan really well. Um, you, you're getting ready to baptize her. Walk me through some of your nerves and your fears as you were getting ready to be a part of this really amazing moment. Okay, well, um, leading up to um, that time, I was able to, to discuss some of those fears or some of those concerns with you, with, with um, 
with my pastor and um, the biggest thing that uh, was heavy on my heart was just not, I didn't want to dishonor God in any way. I wanted to, uh, I didn't want it to be about me in any way. Uh, um, and the family, you know, I don't know how many of her family are not believers. I know that some of them are. And so just, uh, I, I wanted um, the Lord to get all the glory and for Tristan to really feel the presence of the Lord and really what it meant. So you're there and, and you baptized Tristan, but I think God had some more stuff in plan. Yeah. Uh, he had some more in store for you guys. Walk me through kind of the uh, unexpected uh, <laughs> extra blessing on top of being able to be a part of Tristan's baptism. Um, but also being able to be a part of another family member. Yeah, Th through the years of teaching Tumlin, oftentimes um, a mom or a grandmom or you know a parent would bring the other siblings along with them. So, so I've known her brother Tyler um, for for a long time as well, and he had actually gotten saved uh, back. He knew the date, September eighteenth, twenty eighteen, and um, that was really kind of a neat story how that happened. Uh, for him, but he'd never been baptized. So, you know, Tristan, Tristan's baptized. We're all celebrating, getting family pictures, and um, everyone's so excited. And Tyler's kind of uh, just kind of like hanging, hanging kind of close to me, and, and kind of under his breath is like, "Well, I, I want to get baptized." And so I looked at him and I said, "Do you really want to get baptized?" And he said, "Yes, ma'am, I do." So. We went back in the water, and um, uh, so and and Tyler uh, was baptized as well. Um, but it was really neat to be able to share with him too that I didn't want to leave him there. Uh, that um, I would like to uh, to walk with him in a discipleship manner, and maybe even find a young man that can walk with him to actually understand exactly what that means. So, what's been the what's been the biggest thing you feel like God has taught you through all of this? Oh goodness, um, just to, to, tr to really invest in people, to invest in relationships. As I said, you know, I've known Tristan for 12 years. I've known her grandmother. Um, I've known um, her uh, uh, other family members, but to invest in relationships and, um, and just truly care about people. Um, but even more, I think more than that is to invest in my own relationship with the Lord. Um, because if I, it, had I not been spending time with Him um, and getting to know Him better, praying for Tristan, praying for uh, her family, then I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have heard the urging uh, of the Holy Spirit to do that. So I just, just it just is encouraging to continue to invest in others and um, not expect an outcome but just to love them and um, and to continue to invest in that relationship with the Lord so what encouragement would you give to somebody else who, who may have some of the same nerves or fears that you have when it came to having that you know conversation where you kind of put some Jesus out there um, to investing in those relationships or maybe even getting to the place where you're in the baptism waters at that grandma's house as well. Uh, what encouragement would you give to somebody who may not think that that's something that they could do? I think that I would encourage anyone to look, just be in the, be in your sphere of influence. The people that God puts in your life, 
um, you know, oftentimes I don't, for me, I feel like, okay, I've got to do, there's so many people, I've got to, you know, you've got to reach all these people. But God puts people in our paths every day and to just to invest in those people that He has put in our sphere of influence and, and not expect a particular outcome, but just today, the, the, the man, manna for the moment, what He's given us today and what the Holy Spirit may say um, to, hey, share a verse with this person or, hey, um, let's go have lunch together, um, but to just be, um, to ju just be attentive to what the Holy Spirit is asking you to do and not have, an, not have an expected outcome. Just love people where they are. So good. <clears throat> the, the big truth that I come to as I hear a story like that is, friends, you have no idea. We have no idea how God will answer our prayers tomorrow the, we start praying today. Like, you, like begin praying today. And li listen to her story. Like, it was years, years before this comes to fruition. And some of you in this moment, like, you're hesitant to pray, and you don't know who to pray for. And, and then a lot of that, like, you don't even, you come to moments with God, and, and you feel weird or awkward because you know your whole laundry list and track record of your own personal sins. And so it's, it's kind of hard to tiptoe into this conversation with God, and you feel like, maybe i got to give it a little bit of time, and i got to be good for a couple of days, then I can start talking to him again. And friend, all that is is just pretending. Everybody knows John 3.16 where Jesus, you know, is, is, for the, God so loved the world, he gave his one and only of his son so that whoever has faith in him would not perish but have eternal life. But then the next verse, John 3.17, is the one that's really easy to forget, especially when we sin and we be hesitant to go to God in prayer. He says, for the Son of Man did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. So how dare you choose to do to yourself the thing that he chose to not do? If he doesn't condemn you, you're not allowed to either. So come to him. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to have all the right words. And he, hear me out on this. Let me talk to some of the fellows in the room. Our God is big enough for you to be angry with him. He's big enough for you to say some things you would never say around your wife. You can confess to him all those gritty, gory details of all the sin. Talk to him about your insufficiency. Talk to him about your shortcomings. Friend, he already knows them. There's nothing that we tell God when he goes, oh, oh, I had no idea. He's going, thank you. I'm glad you heard it now. I'm glad you're able to process through it. And I want you to know, like, <laughs> I, I know, I know Miss Lisa is, is spiritually mature, and she, is, uh, she loves me enough for me to be able to say this about her. She's not a gold star Christian. She's a regular Christian. And what you saw her do in, in the pool, baptizing, you know, uh, one person who was her size and another person who was not her size. <laughs> like, hear me on this. Those are stories that if you have a pulse in this room, you should have one of those stories. But th those stories, those public, powerful, outside, out there moments, those stories start in the secret place. They start with our hearts get, getting away in a prayer closet, getting away to a treehouse out in the woods, getting away to a deer stand out in the woods somewhere, and parking a car in a parking lot and just, just going before God and having that secret place. And so many people, we don't even have a place, let alone a secret place. 
the place that we go back to, that we run to. That's our, our spot where we go and we meet with God and we align our heart with him because the public powerful things that you want to see on display in your life are in direct correlation to the private prayers you pray. So Jesus says, come. Come into this secret place and meet with me here. And I want you to know that that same correlation is the reason that we're here in this room existing as people who are setting our lives up to be surrendered to the life of Jesus. The only reason we're here is because he said he would die and rise from the grave, and he did rise from the grave. But the only reason he was willing to go to that cross and to go through what he went through was because he was so in tune with God in his prayer life that he knew that this was the Father's will and that the Father would take care of him even when it seemed like he had turned his face away from him on the cross. Jesus knew that even if the Father had to turn his face away from him temporarily, it would all be worth it because it would allow the Father to be able to turn his face and look at every single one of us in the eye and say, you are forgiven. Welcome into the family where I'm making all things new. And some of you in this room, like, you never put your faith and your hope in Jesus. And you see a story like these, these two young adults getting baptized and you're like, I want that. Like, I, I, I'm tired of pretending, I'm tired of being a mask, I'm trying to have, you know, fake it and trying to do these things. I want to live a life with real power. And, I, and look, you will never have the power to stop pretending in every environment you're in until you surrender to the Holy Spirit's power in your life. You go under the water in baptism, let the Holy Spirit indwell you in its fullness, and then you got all the confidence in the world to say, I don't have to be somebody else because Jesus, he died for me just as I am. And he promised not to leave me just as I am. He promised that his heart would start beating inside of my heart and I would be someone who lived out on this life, a righteous life, a holy life, and a life that, much like Lisa and hopefully all of us, leads other people to be conduits between a lost and broken world full of sinners and their Savior Jesus. And I want that for you. I want that for us. I want that to be the story of MCC. And again, like, I love this story, but I want, it, I want us to get to a place where these become commonplace, where every week, like, I'm only preaching for 15 minutes because they're just stories of people just, you know, meeting strangers, meeting people, baptizing people, where they live, work, and play. Make disciples who make disciples where you live, work, and play. That is our story. That's what God's calling us to. And friend, if you're living this life, trying to get six figures, retire early, and hang out on a beach or a lake somewhere, you're missing out on the real life. That, I'm telling you, she would swear up and down that the most beautiful, amazing moments of her life don't really compare. The best steak she's ever ate, the best roller coaster she's ever rode, the nicest car she's ever ridden, the best vacation she's ever been on, she'd trade to be back in a pool with more family members. And we would too, you would too. Some of you have never experienced those. My prayer is that you would go to the secret place. You meet your father there. You let him heal the things in you. And then you would be used by him to bring that healing to somebody else. If you're here and you know God's leading you maybe to get baptized, there's a, a next step card right in that chair in front of you. And uh, you can fill that out. Uh, put that mark on there and say, hey, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to get baptized. You can put those in those boxes in the back um, as you leave today. And we'll be in touch. And um, I believe that God is leading somebody here to do that today. Somebody online to do that today to give their life fully surrendered to him. And say, I'm tired of pretending. I'm done. We're trying to be somebody that I'm not. I want to be Jesus to my kids. 
I want to be Jesus to my wife. I want to be Jesus to my husband. I want to be Jesus in my workplace. I want to be Jesus on this team. I want to be Jesus at this school. Let's pray. We're going to go into a time of communion. Then we're going to sing a song. I want you just to let it be sung over you. Let it encourage you. Let God just allow the conversation that happens in communion to overflow into hearing this song and processing through what he is saying to you, his dearly loved child this morning. Jesus, we thank you for the cross and all those private moments of prayer that allowed you to take the full weight of our sin, both past, present, and every sin in the future upon you on the cross. To bear the full weight of knowing that the Father was gonna look away from you so that he could look to us. I pray as we take the cup, take the bread, that the significance of us being able to pray and hear from you and to pray and know that you hear us is miraculous. So draw us in in these moments and lead us to you. In your name.